Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we are going to do that in another one of my favorite ways, which is looking at a sermon. Now, I know, two weeks in a row here, guys, if you listened to last week's and then this week as well. I'm watching, uh, or we're going to be reviewing a sermon this week from someone named Gary McIntosh. Now, full disclosure, this was his name did not come up and anybody's recommended as far as, hey, I want you to do a sermon review on Gary McIntyre, but or McIntosh, rather. Um, but we are going to look at him because I am currently putting together a video essay on Michael Todd and Gary McIntosh apparently is uh, like kind of Michael Todd's, Mike Todd's mentor. Uh, he's known as the oversight pastor. Um, he's kind of the founding pastor, I suppose, of Transformation Church before Mike Todd took over. So anyway, we're, we're, we're going to look at one of the sermons because in the process of kind of getting as much of this information together as I can for this video essay that I'm doing, um, I didn't have time to do like multiple things this week. Cause in case you didn't know, not my full-time job. If you want to make it my full-time job, some Patreon links in the description to help me out there. But Hey, obviously no pressure there. If you want to make, uh, some impact in what we're doing here though, and support in the freest way possible, liking and subscribing, are free to do. They take like no muscle. You just you, you take the little finger and you tap and click it. That's all you got to do. But anyway, today we're going to be looking at Gary McIntosh. Now this sermon is from a while ago. Uh, it's called Measured for Greatness. I think it's like eight years ago. Um, it was shortly after uh, Gary uh, handed over the keys to the church to Mike Todd, and he's apparently filling in for him at some point. This is in 2017. My understanding, if I got all my ducks in a row, is Mike Todd took over Transformation in 2015. So this is shortly after that, but before Transformation Church sort of blew up and everybody began to know who Mike Todd was. And so a couple of reasons here. One, we're looking at Gary McIntosh just to look at another pastor. Because as I've said before, and as I continue to try to point out, these sermon reviews are not about who's the best pastor, who's the worst pastor. It's about looking at the content of the sermon and asking three questions. One, do they read the text? Two, do they exegete the text using context and culture to bring out application? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Pretty low bar, but that's what we look at every time. Now, obviously, there's another kind of layer to this sermon review in regards to sort of saying, okay, well, who'd Mike Todd kind of learn how to preach from? Who was his pastor that was over him for a long time? Because that does matter. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to preach just like him, but a lot of the principles and the way he's, you know, learns to speak will come from usually the pastor that's above you. Um, so it'll be a little bit of their style mixed in with a little bit of your style. And then you get, you know, you get whatever comes out of that oven, basically. So let's go ahead and start this, uh, let's hop into it. It's 37 minutes long, um, just to kind of give you an idea of the whole sermon length. So kind of give you an idea of, we're looking at probably about an hour and 45 minutes, I'm sure. Now, again, one thing I always like to mention, I have watched this sermon all the way through one time. So I do have a general idea of what's going on here, but let's go ahead and jump into the sermon. Gary McIntosh, Oversight Pastor of Transformation Church. Okay, hold on. I've got some audio issues here. Give me one second. All right, let's back it up and try it again. Why not, right? I'm going to read from the book of Zechariah this morning. The book of Zechariah. It's this, if you've 
carry your Bible. If it's on your phone, you just push a button. But if you carry your Bible, it's the second last book of the Bible. It's right uh, between Haggai and Malachi. These were the prophets, Haggai and Malachi, especially were the prophets to the nation of Israel as they were coming out of Babylon. Seventy years of bondage because they would not obey God. They would not obey God, and so God put them under a taskmaster until they grew hungry for him once again and then delivered them back to the promised land. And so Zechariah was a prophet of hope to the nation of Israel. And uh, I want us to look at a few texts from Zechariah. And we'll start in chapter number 2. Okay, so go ahead to Zechariah chapter 2. So anytime, again, as always, a pastor mentions a text, we want to make sure we go to Zechariah. Um, so we're going to be in Zechariah chapter 2. And... So he gave us a little bit of context, right, as far as this is written to uh, the Israelites as they come out of Babylon. Now, historically, obviously, Babylon was the empire at the time. Uh, Persia comes in and defeats the Babylonians, and now the king of Persia, Xerxes, um, frees uh, the, the Israelites, sends them back home, essentially. So they've been in bondage for 70 years. There's a little bit more history we will get into uh, in this sermon that he doesn't mention, but... Again, contextually, this is good information to have at the beginning of a sermon. Um, why the book's written, who it's written to, all that's really good information to have as a congregation. Because clearly, even if you're um, in the Old Testament reading through, there's so much context of what's happening that sometimes we miss that we can just get lost and give up in it. So that's good to have, right? To know when the book was written and who it was written to. So Zechariah chapter 2. And I'll read... Uh, verse 1 through 5, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, reads as following. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. Then the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet me. And he said to him, Run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Fascinating scripture. And I believe that in this hour, we are probably in one of the most difficult and yet exciting hour the church has ever seen. In fact, I personally believe that this church is in the threshold, is right at the threshold of seeing things it has never seen before. I believe we're about to enter in the most exciting moments of the life of this entire church, which means that you get to be in the middle of it. So a couple things just off the bat, right? So we read the scripture. Now, he doesn't give us a whole lot of context in regards to this particular scripture. Obviously, we're starting in chapter two, chapter one beforehand. There's a little bit that's happened beforehand as far as other uh, visions, other prophecies he's seen. Um, 
but you can read that. This is not uh, the first prophecy within the book, even though we're starting at chapter two. There's actually been uh, a few. And so we're starting in, I think it's the second or third prophecy. I'd have to reread through uh, Zechariah again, but it's, it's not the first one. And so we read through one through five in a very kind of small section of what's happening here. And then he automatically comes over and starts talking about their church now, right? Now, this gives us a pretty good indication. Now, again, I've already listened to this sermon all the way through, so I understand that I'm jumping the gun here. But just if we were in here listening to the first time, that's something we kind of want to listen for. We're not going directly into the text and going through, okay, what? why is Zechariah... Um, maybe having visions. What What's going on here? Has he had visions before this vision? Uh, we're not going into what does this vision mean or this prophecy mean to him and the people coming out of Babylon right now. Um, we've, we've read the scripture, but now it's all about us and what's going to happen in our church and the most exciting time in our church and the fact that we're going to be going through this exciting time. Now, interesting fact this was in 2017 that this sermon was given, and very shortly after this, uh, Mike Todd preaches on relationship goals, which completely puts his name, you know, in the big leagues. Um, that that puts Transformation Church on the map. Uh, so it's, it is interesting that he says this, um, but it doesn't have anything to do specifically with what we're talking about in the text here. And that's just to give you a tip on what to look for, right? If we read a text. Do we then start going into the text and talking about what that text is about? Or do we like shift really hard into about us and our church? Um, it is something to look for. But let's let us let him continue. And God's doing great things. And you say, yes, but there's, there's problems in the land. Yes, there's crisis in the land. Absolutely. But in the midst of it, God shows himself strong. And so I believe God's doing some great things. In fact, I believe that he's working in our lives to reconstruct, to renovate, and to restore. These are construction terms, and at times it may feel uncomfortable when God is at work in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. And yet they are essential to prepare us for the future. He's evaluating our foundations to make sure our foundations are strong to determine we have a future. No foundations, no future. I believe the Lord's rebuilding us from the ground up. He's erecting a people that are able to take pressure while maintaining presence. Let me say it again. We must become a people that can handle pressure and maintain presence, the presence of Almighty God. So what appears to be showing us our shortcomings or lacks are not for our discouragement, but our encouragement because they're measuring you for greatness. They're revealing to you the capacity for greatness. And you may be here and say, well, that's not me. That may be somebody else. But I'm here this morning to tell you that God is measuring you for greatness there's things in you you have not seen. There's things that God put in you that have not yet come forward. And we are in the threshold of God saying, come into where I ordained you to be. And so whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, it may be a crisis or an obstacle or a weight or a burden. I came to tell you this morning, don't you worry about it. You're about to come out. You are about so Here's the question that we really have to ask. What 
does this have to do with the scripture we read in Zechariah 2? So undoubtedly, there are people in his in the church right now, in that congregation that are listening to him, that are going through all of the things he's talked about as far as pressures and stresses and are in things. And then he's declaring in those things, God is measuring you. He's testing you. He's building foundations. He's doing all of this stuff. Um, and there are obviously loose connections, like little keywords. The whole measuring you connects back to Zechariah. The foundations leads back to Zechariah. But the question is, is that what Zechariah is talking about? The question also goes to, are there scriptures that back up other scriptures outside of Zechariah that back up the things that he's saying? There, there are some, right, in regards to believers and Christians, in re, uh, as far as perseverance, uh, in regards to um, uh, testing and, and standing firm in the faith. Um, it's not like those are, those are not in scripture. But the question is, are they here in the text? Or if they're not in the text, can we make a plausible plausible connection to them via cross-reference that does connect to them in some way? Um, uh, there's something I want to say, but we will. I'll, I'll wait for that, I suppose. Let's keep going. About to come out because God is developing you and stepping you into greatness. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, measured for greatness. Come on, if you didn't get their attention, come on, nudge them a little bit and say, God's measuring you for greatness. Now, they may not fully understand that, but I pray before this service is over, they will comprehend it. Our text this morning was written by a prophet, the prophet named Zechariah. He was born in Babylon. He was born while the children of Israel were in captivity. They were slaves. Israel was there for 70 years. They were released by an edict from a king called Cyrus. At this time, Babylon was in power, but Cyrus was the king of Persia. Cyrus came into Persia and destroyed the Babylonian empire. And when he did, he issued an edict that the children of Israel who were in bondage and slaves be set free to go back to their country to rebuild the house of God. He not only gave them the liberty to go back because 50,000 Jews were released to come back into the promised land and there to build Jerusalem once again, but at that time, not only were they released, but he gave them all the necessary means to rebuild Jerusalem all the money and paid the salaries. And it was just an amazing thing that God could open a heart of a Persian king and provide everything the people of God needed to rebuild the house of God. And so our story takes us to this environment. Haggai and Zechariah were both prophets. You can see that in Ezra chapter 5 as they were released to go back and rebuild the house of God. So let's let our text unfold this revelation. I'm going to answer three questions. The first question is where he went. The Bible says he was on a mission and he went to Jerusalem. That's what the prophet Zechariah saw. He went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is essential. Jerusalem is mentioned 81 times in the scripture. It's also called the house of God or the city of God. In fact, when they were in Babylon... The Babylonians asked them to sing the songs of Zion because they knew that the songs of Zion were happy songs. 
And the, and the children of Israel responded. This is in Psalms 137, verse 1 through 7. They said, we've hung our harps in the trees. We're no longer singing because we're out of the promised land and out of the place where God dwells. And you want us to sing the songs of Zion. How can we sing the happy songs of Zion when we are so overwhelmed and miss the place where God dwells? They, they, they began to cry out and they, they said, if we ever forget Jerusalem, may our tongues cleave to the roof of our mouth. Jerusalem is our chief joy because it was there that God dwelt. Now, if we try to interpret that in today's time, it is there that God dwells. Where does God dwell? He dwells in our hearts. We understand that. But he dwells in his house when the people of God gather, which means we can come and enjoy his presence. Many Christians don't know how to enjoy God's presence. They have to go deep and become somber, but we're learning that we can laugh too. It's like medicine to our souls. Amen. So a few things there, because we're kind of going into something else. Uh, the, the history and the background and the context there that he was talking about was great. I mean, it is, it is really good to unpack in, a, in a, a short, succinct way what was happening at the time that the, um, the, the children of Israel come out of Babylon and even naming the prophets and how that all works and what was going on. That's great because that gives you a, a kind of a picture of what's happening in regards to when Zechariah is writing this. Not only gives you a picture of what ha is happening with Zechariah, but what's happening all in, in, in the various books because we have some overlap in the Old Testament near the end as far as the exile or the return from the exile of books overlapping, things happening at similar times. And so it's really good that, you know, he mentions that. Uh, it's also good that he talks about, uh, he sort of brings us into that saying, okay, this is what Zechariah is doing. Now, some of these points that he brings up are going to be are going to be that, right? So what's Zechariah doing? What's Zechariah seeing? All of that. Um, so we need to pay attention to that because our, our intent here when we're opening up the scripture is saying what's happening there, what's the background context to what's happening there, and um, are we are we staying true to that to bring out application from that? So um, the, the only other thing I wanted to mention there when he was talking about, um, you know, God dwells in the house of the Lord, uh, there, there is a distinct difference that we see that I think... Um, and this just may be because he's a bit charismatic. I've noticed this among charismatics uh, that we're talking about, you know, God's house or this house tonight, they'll say a lot, referring to the church. Um, but we don't have real any evidence within the New Testament. I mean, so what we have in, in the Gospels is the veil is torn uh, when Jesus uh, dies. And then we have... Uh, Obviously, in the Old Testament, a very clear picture of God dwelling in the temple, in the in the in the in the inside the temple. But in the New Testament, we see Him dwelling in His people. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit indwell His people. So it's not in a place anymore; it's in a people. So it wouldn't be in a church that He that He sort of makes His presence known. It's inside of His people. And when His people come together, uh, He is there with us. Um, but it's not the, you know, he's in this house tonight sort of thing. We don't have any real indication of that. Like that's a very modern language uh, that's fairly foreign to the scriptures. Um, we have Pentecost where the spirit falls. And then after that, all through the New Testament, um, we have this imagery of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit indwelling uh, believers. And that is God's presence with his people in, inside of believers. So it shifts a bit from Old Testament language. 
And we can recognize the reality of what happened in the Old Testament, but to bring that into the church being a new temple that God dwells in um, just doesn't, uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily what he's saying, but he seems to sort of allude to that a little bit. Um, and we don't really have um, backing for that. It's very new language. Amen. It does good. Hallelujah. Can I get a big amen? amen? I know it's hard for us sometimes because we can become so religious that we can't feel we can ever laugh in the house of God. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. Come on, somebody. So they were crying out and they, and they said, remember, the Lord, Lord, the children of Israel said in that day, raise it, raise it, which R-A-Z-E means tear it down, tear it down to its very foundations. It is into this situation that Zechariah now is speaking prophetically. It is into this that they're leaving Babylon. They're coming to the place to rebuild the house of God. And these prophets are trying to bring back an understanding of what they're about to do. It represents our place of greatest joy. It's a place that the enemy wants to destroy. If he can restore. He can destroy your ability to enjoy God. He'll get you out of the church. If he gets you out of the church, you wander in the flesh and you lose your relationship with God. It becomes very important that we look forward to the times of coming to the house of God. I don't know about you, but I travel a lot and I go to a lot of churches and and I can't wait to get back to this house. I love God everywhere I go, and there's always a certain presence, but there's not many churches that I go to that are like here. And I look forward to it. I get up early. I used to be here at 6.30 or 7 o'clock, and I still, you can ask my wife to get here when I would preach, but I still want to come early. And I just, I'm here usually pretty early walking around talking to people because I just look so forward to getting to the house of God. Because it, God shows up in his house. So why are the foundations so important? Psalms 11 verse 3 says, What can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? We have to build upon foundations. It's impossible to secure your future and, and understand your purpose unless you have a firm foundation. Okay, I am going to go back. I typically don't do this. But I do want to go back because I think... There was something there that I wanted to look at, and I can't remember. So, I, I t- like I said, we typically don't do this, but let's go ahead and go back just a little bit. If the foundations, be- I, I just look so forward to getting to the house of God because it God shows up in his house. So why are the foundations so important? Psalms 11 verse 3 says, What can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? Okay, so that was one of the things we want to look at. So anytime they, uh, a pastor is going to mention a different verse, right? We want to go to, or at least write down that verse. What's always concerning to me is whenever we only reference one verse. So he, he references Psalm 11, uh, verse 3. But let's read Psalm 11. So it says this, In, the, de- in um, the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For before the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark and upright heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
The Lord is in his temple, his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, he, uh, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur from the scorching, scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. Yeah, he loves righteous deeds and upright shall behold his face. So the, the Psalm, I actually preached a whole sermon just on those verses there in Psalms 11. But the idea here being that um, the question is being asked, right? If the, uh, in the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul? So, so the Psalmist is saying like, I, t- my hope is in the Lord, but you're telling me flee like a bird to the mountains for behold, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string and they shoot up at that right of heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the the person speaking to the psalmist that's saying, hey, you should leave because look, all of the foundations of, of this kingdom are destroyed. Um, you, you should go then because they're about to get you. The foundations are falling apart. Um, but then the psalmist goes on to say, but the Lord is watching over everything. It doesn't matter if they're coming after me. It doesn't matter if the foundations are destroyed. It doesn't matter what the evil have in their heart to do to me. My hope is in the Lord and he's the one that judges everything. And so when Gary here is talking about foundations, like why are the foundations important? We, we have to be really careful to pull one verse out of a ver- just any text that happens to have the same word in it to make our point. So he's saying, well, why are the foundations important. And he's referring, if we go back to Zechariah uh, ch- uh, chapter two, he's referring to the foundations uh, mentioned in one of these verses here. He hasn't even told us which one, um, but that he's talking about foundations. So he rips one verse out of the Psalms, a, a, a verse on foundations that doesn't necessarily have to do with the foundations of the righteous. It actually has to do with how the righteous react to the foundations of a particular society falling apart, um, which in Psalm 11 is to have hope in the Lord anyway. Um, so this is a confusion of terms, really. Like we can't just take that out because it says foundations and then apply it to, well, why are our foundations important? I just wanted to point that out. I remember when I listened to this the first time, I thought that's not what Psalms 11 is using, how, how it's using foundations. We have to build upon foundations. It's impossible to secure your future and, and understand your purpose unless you have a firm foundation. In other words, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep it against that day. Somebody said, well, what day is it? Any day, good day, bad day, horrible day, crisis day. I I can stand in the storm of life and know that I'm okay in God. I'm okay in God. The world is going through crisis everywhere, but we're okay in God. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're okay in God. It's our foundation. You got to know who you are in God and who God is in you. Why, why, why he went, why he went, why he went, why did he go to Jerusalem? Zechariah 2 says, to measure Jerusalem, to see the breadth thereof and the length thereof. He was to measure. Measure actually means to ascertain by measuring or to determine. Okay, this is another thing that I want to, I want to point out here. So in the vision, Zechariah says, and I lifted up my eyes and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. So it's not Zachariah. He hasn't really made it super clear, 
but it's not Zachariah himself going on this this mission of why he went. This is he lifted up his eyes and saw behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now we don't know, and the text isn't clear if this man is a man like a, a man like Zechariah. It doesn't. Uh, it, we're not told if it's an angel. Uh, we're not told if it's. Uh, uh, we're just not told who it is. But we know Zechariah lifts up his eyes and he sees a man with a measuring line in his hand, and he asks him where he's going. So it's not like Zechariah had a mission necessarily. Not according to the text. He's having a vision of someone going. The capacity of a thing. It also means to estimate of what is expected of a person. God wants to show you that your capacity is much larger than what you're living right now. He wants to show you that greatness can and will come from your life. Okay, I'm just going to run this for you. This is going to be a rinse and repeat of how we handle every one of these verses from here on out. And I, I just want to tell you that so that we can, we can watch for it. Okay. Um, we are going to go through almost every one of these verses in a pretty short amount of time, but each time we're going to use the verse to point back to you and not to actually draw out of the text the prophetic vision that Zechariah is seeing, nor are we going to really get into what this prophetic vision seems to point to um, overall. But I just want us to listen for that, right? Because you're going to have pastors that, that open up the scripture, that go through each verse, but it's not actually exposit, it's, it's not preaching through verse by verse. It's using the verses, each of them, to then point back to you instead of point to what the verses are actually trying to say. And that appears to be what we're doing here as we're working through this. So let's just keep going. No matter what field, and you don't have to be a pastor to be great. You can, you can be in any occupation, but God wants to show you. You can be in the medical field, but you ought to be the best. Because why? Because you carry the King of kings and the Lord of lords who made man, knows all about him, and has the wisdom, amen, to demonstrate that through your life in any occupation. And so he wants to show you your capacity. How does he show us our capacity? And I could go through a bunch of things. I'm not going to have time this morning. But your ability, your resources, your attitude, and your stewardship are four ways that you must increase your capacity. You must understand your abilities. You must believe God for resources. You must have a right attitude. And you must have good stewardship of your life. But when God wants to show us our capacity, he usually stretches us. Anybody ever felt stretched even more recently? You feel stretched? You feel stretched? You know, a balloon has a greater capacity than when, it's, when it has no air in it, but when you blow it and stretch it, it has a larger capacity. In fact, one of the, uh, Fletch, if you can come help me, but one of the um, terms for, for stretching actually means a, a musical chord or a musical note or a musical string. It's fascinating that, that for, for it to fulfill its purpose, the strings, which are all different, isn't that wonderful? Amen. Have to be stretched and tuned. If they're, if they're not tuned, 
That's called discord or dissonance. They don't work together. You might play one at a time, and it may sound okay. Oh, I felt that fourth one down. Amen. So in, in order for them to operate in, in unity, then we have to take the tuning peg and stretch it until it's in harmony with all the other strings. And so then it can play a song. You can you can see kind of where I don't know if this is where Mike Todd got his uh, his his love for illustration, but this is the same sort of thing. And this isn't just Mike Todd. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, of of pastors that have this this very high leaning on examples, which aren't bad. I mean, let me let me just explain. That's not bad to do it that way. The real question is: Is it helping expand what the text? says there is nothing about unity or discord or foundations within the text that we're reading primarily. Um, and if it was going to be a topical sermon on, 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 you know, unity or, or the importance of being united, we could say that and then use a variety of different texts and do a topical sermon. But this is set up as if we're actually reading through the scriptures verse by verse and then teaching from them. Um, but these two things that we're seeing aren't going together. It's First of all, it's not connected to Zechariah chapter 2, which is an amazing text, which we'll explain here at the end. But it's also... Um, it, it's, it's, it's not expanding from the text, but it's not really connected to any text. It's just sort of an idea that he's talking about, about unity and discord, which it seems to be, though I'm not entirely clear, seems to be connected to something that's going on at the church during this time in 2017 that I just haven't been able to ascertain exactly what was happening at that time. I get so lost in music. I just want to quit and say, okay, amen. That's the answer. Thank you, Fletch. Give him a hand. So God's measuring is stretching us, but it's stretching us to be in harmony with one another, to work together, to build the kingdom of God. Amen? And then he says he measured the breadth. It actually can be uh, translated width or wideness or thickness. In other words, what's underneath you? What's underneath you? It becomes important, and that, of course, has to do with foundation. I began to understand this in, in a greater way that a deeper foundation is important for a higher building. I was at ORU, and they were building the uh, towers. He's about to go into a story about being at Oral Roberts University. So before we get into that whole thing, let's read the text one more time. It won't take long. It won't take long at all. It's only five verses. And I lift up my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said... Where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without, villages without walls. 
because the multitudes of people and livestock in it. And I will be uh, to her a wall of fire around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Now there's a, man, there's a lot there. I mean, we're talking about people coming out of captivity, being sent back to their city, the city that God has given, the land that God has given them. Um, and then we have this prophet having a vision of someone walking to measure out the city because the person that's being sent is supposed to, according to this text, uh, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what is its length, right? That's why he's going. I'm going to go measure the city. We're coming back. I want to measure it. I want to get its, its, its depth and its width and its length. And behold, an angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet that angel. And they said, and he said to him, run, say to that young man, the young man that's going to go measure Jerusalem, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a village without walls. So Jerusalem, that Jerusalem that you're going to go measure, that you're, you're, you're measuring the the length and the width of, it's actually going to be like a village without walls. Well, that's kind of crazy that you're going to have a city without walls. You're going to have a village without walls. Where's your, in that time, again, contextually, where is your protection going to come from? Where, where is, I mean, how are you going to fortify it? How are you going to ensure that it doesn't get taken over by other enemies? Well, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a village without walls. Because why? Because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. There's going to be so many people and livestock in it. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to measure enough to make walls. It, it, there's going to be so many people in there. There's going to be so much livestock in there. And I will be her wall of fire around her, declares the Lord. I said, so the Lord says, I'm going to be the wall. I'm going to be your protector. There's going to be so many people there. You're not going to need a wall. I'm going to be your wall. I'll be a fire around her, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Now, there's more after this. He doesn't read. We'll get that in a minute. We'll, we'll get to that at the end. But the point is, the vision that Zechariah is seeing is of a man going to a city that he knows has been destroyed and rampaged and ravaged and all of this that needs rebuilt. And that man that he sees and when he lifts up his eyes is going to go measure it, which is what you would do before you rebuild something. We got to know how long it is. We got to know the width, the depth, the length. We got to know all that before we can even start building. And the angel says, hey, hey, other angel, go tell him that like you can do that, but we're not going to need walls. There's going to be so many people there. There's going to be so much livestock there because there's just too many people. But don't worry about walls because the Lord is going to be the one that protects you. The Lord is going to be there that he's going to be the protection of his people. There's a much deeper meaning, a much deeper meaning to this prophetic vision that God gives Zechariah than the Lord's going to stretch you. Don't you feel stretched? Like, it's, like we are, I don't want to say we're intentionally belittling what's happening here. I just think like in doing so, if it's not intentional belittling, which I don't want to assume that of anyone, it's unintentionally belittling what's happening in the text here. This text goes far beyond you and me and the things that God's doing in our life. But let's let him continue. There were 20, 30, and 60 foot, the city of faith at that time. And I remember going out with Oral Roberts at that time. He was on campus, and the whole student body went out, and we all grabbed hands at the site of building. We prayed, and, and I was used to when we, after we prayed, look out, the building's coming up. My, my room faced those buildings, and so every day I'd get up, and I'd kind of look out, and nothing was happening. 
And I think, what's going on? And after several weeks, nothing was still happening. And so I walked over there, and they had it roped off, but I, I motioned to a guy that had a construction helmet on, and I said, sir, can you help me? He said, sure, what is it? And I said, well, when we build buildings around here, we build them. And he said, he said, well, we're building. I said, well, I don't see anything. He said, did you see the pictures? And I said, of course. He said, well, if you saw the pictures, then you realize how tall they were. We have to go deep to substantiate how tall they can go. I thought that is fascinating. He said, we are pillaring down into the ground to establish going up 60 stories. And so sometimes when God's working on you, it's not fun. It doesn't even look cool, but he's deepening your life to determine your capacity to go up, to go up. Do you know what's more exciting than that? <laughs> the prophetic vision that the Lord gave Zechariah. To go up. Secondly, he said, I'm measuring the length. Actually, it can mean in Hebrew to tarry long or prolong or forever. In other words, I'm determining your ability to endure. He is, but look, I'm not going to pretend to know uh, ancient Hebrew because I don't. And I'm not going to pretend to know Greek very well. Like I have to use tools that help me do that often. I have to contact people that do know those languages to make sure when I do preach messages on them that like I have some clarity whenever I'm not entirely confident in what I'm saying here. But to say, hey, this word can mean this, that, or this other thing. You can't just pull the definition from a Hebrew word and then assert that as the definition being used in the text. Ancient languages have usually variety of different meanings for different words and it and the meaning that that word has at the moment depends on how it is in the sentence, the structure of the sentence. There's a lot of indicators. This is why translation teams are necessary. So you can have people that know the languages come together, look at the construction of the sentence and say, hey, what is the most logical or best or what was the purpose you know, that this word was put here that indicates it's, it's the sentence structure justifies that. You can't just look up on Strong's Concordance and say, well, that's what that word means. Um, and then assume or assert that meaning into the text. Um, that is a dangerous way to do linguistics uh, and to, to, to tell the people, well, this is what he's actually saying in the text. Um, there's no indication of that. <laughs> Stick with what Zechariah is saying in the text. Now, again, I get it. If you look up Gary McIntosh, dude has a lot of degrees. He has four different degrees. Um, so... If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But from my understanding of talking to people that know languages, um, you can't just do what he's doing here and then assert that as, well, what Zachariah is actually talking about is digging down and making your foundation strong in the Lord. Um, Zachariah is having a vision that the Lord is giving him about um, an ultimate in the future look at of what Jerusalem is going to be. Matthew 10, verse 22 says, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Endureth means to stay or remain or to have fortitude or persevere. In other words, you can't just have one experience to build everything off of that. You have to weather the storms of life and persevere. You have to stand against the storms of life. And one of the words uh, in a storm is the word, when he said peace, it means to attach yourself to something that is unmovable. In those days, a lot of times they would attach themselves to a tree 
because it has strong roots and it wouldn't be moved. But in our lives, we know that we must be attached and we must remain attached and daily attached to God himself that when the storms come against us, we will not be blown to and fro. We will weather the storms. We will persevere, which means when I'm happy, I give God praise. When I'm sad, I give God praise. When, I, when everything's all right, I give God praise. When everything's not all right, I give God praise. I, I want to make, it clear like we're, we're about halfway through the sermon uh, we're oh, actually we're exactly 17 minutes into a 37 minute sermon um so close to half um what he's saying here isn't wrong in regards to the principles and how believers should live that's not wrong as we've discussed in a number of different sermons what usually happens is right sermon wrong text like people will take a text like zachariah chapter 2 and then preach you into it using biblical principles that you can find in other texts, but ignoring the fact that that's not what the particular text they're using as a foundation for their sermon actually says. And as pastors, we need to be incredibly careful about doing that. Just because the principles you're saying are correct and can be found elsewhere in Scripture, but you're preaching them from the wrong text, is is dangerous at best. It's teaching people that they can do the same thing, and it's neglecting what the actual text says. And as listeners, we need to be careful that we're, we're, we're asking those questions. Like, is this what the text is saying? Um, again, just because something sounds right or even is right, I mean, just on principle of what the scripture says, great. But is that what the text is actually saying? Or are we using it in an incorrect way to bring forth... <laughs> it's that meme. It's like, I don't know how you got the right answer, but you use the wrong formula. Like just because we get a good uh, message that we can find technically somewhere in scripture, that doesn't mean that it excuses the fact that we use the text that we're using foundationally incorrectly. Like, we just can't do that and say it's okay. Praise. It doesn't matter what I'm facing, what I'm going through. He's worthy of praise. When I come into his presence, I give God praise. I've been asked a thousand times, what is the secret of your longevity and what you've done? And I said, well, if I have any success, it's this. I show up. I've never been the greatest at anything, but I show up. I show up. I show up. And I showed up when I was sick. I showed up after surgery. I showed up when my family was going through hell. I show up. Every time I show up, when you get in the position you're supposed to be in, his blessing, his anointing comes upon you, and people even can't tell a difference. You show up. You show up. Amen. What did he see? What did he see? You see, in this day, God's looking for people who will not just be blown to and fro, but will show up and let him show off. God wants to use you. God wants to use this church. God wants to use this church. And what he saw was not only a picture, a prophetic picture of the now, but a prophetic picture of the future. He saw something in Jerusalem that would shift them forever and change them forever. In those days, they had cities and all the cities were walled because they had enemies. Their walls were thick. In fact, we're told that in the days of Jerusalem that the walls were so thick that six chariots could run side by side on top of the wall. And yet those walls were not thick enough 
to, to be established against their enemies who destroyed their laws, their walls as they went into bondage. And so he sees this picture that's very strange. And he said to him in verse number four, run, speak to that young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a town without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. In other words, what he saw is Jerusalem as it was known was not big enough for where they were going. Can I help you this morning? Your world and your vision for your life is not big enough right now for where you're going. So see, he's using, see, this is where I have an issue. He's using the vision that the Lord is giving Zechariah as an analogy for the Israelites. So he's saying this vision that Zechariah is seeing isn't something that is going to come true or come forth in the future. It is an analogy that there's going to be so many people the city can't hold them. That's how he's using it. He's not using it as an actual prophetic vision of how Jerusalem will be. Right now, just to be very clear here, um, Jerusalem uh, still has not obtained the, the fulfillment of this prophecy has not yet come to pass. There's not been a time where Jerusalem didn't have to have walls. In fact, uh, historically, we have them coming out of, of, of Babylon because of the Persian. And we have, for a short time, from um, uh, 140 B.C. all the way up to uh, 62 B.C., we have Israel being its own kingdom led by actual Israelites, the Hasmonean dynasty. Uh, but that comes to an end when Rome comes in and takes over. Um, in 60 in 62 BC and so it's one of those things where um, we, even even though they come through and they are their own kingdom for a while they still have walls they still need protection and so even the prophecy that I that Zechariah has here is of a future kingdom it is of a future time that hasn't yet happened and didn't happen in his day either but the way that Gary seems to be approaching it is that if, if we're going to apply this to our life, we have to then almost force this prophecy into an analogy so that it also works for us. So this is, you know, he, he's seeing something that, you know, they can't even imagine. There's going to be so many people there and the Lord's doing the same in your life. Your imagination for what he's got for you isn't big enough, right? This is what he's talking about. Um, and he's forced to talk about it this way because he's not dealing with what the text is or what the text is saying. He's using the text in order to make application from every verse to your specific life or to the life of Transformation Church specifically then. Um, and so we're not reading the text for what the text is. We're reading the text seemingly to try to get some sort of immediate application, not for who Zachariah is talking about or the vision that Zachariah has been given, but for us specifically. I, I hope that you see how that's problematic. Um, the application isn't even like the, the real application for us. If we're going to say, what is the application for Zechariah 2 verses 1 through 5 for us now as the believer? It is that. God, in his great sovereignty, gives Zechariah a vision of a future Jerusalem in which there is no walls, that the Lord is their protector, that God is the one that sees over them. And because we know that it has yet to happen, that is a future Jerusalem, then we as believers now get to take part in that. We get to celebrate the reality 
that God is going to protect his people. There will be no need for walls because there's too many people, too much livestock. God will be our protector. But because we're forcing this into immediate application, we, we have to almost make this as an analogy. God wants to expand your thinking. He wants to expand who you are into what you're going to be. He wants you to begin to see a picture that is larger than you've ever seen before because what God has for every one of his children is greatness in their assignment. So God is measuring you in this hour for greatness. He wants to do things through you that have not been done yet. We're seeing now even in the Olympic trials, these athletes that are overcoming things and, and they're breaking world records and all of that. That is in one little area. I enjoy watching it. But there are many areas through the scope of even this congregation that God's going to use you in that you have not seen your best days. This is all about you're great, you're amazing. God's going to do this amazing thing in your life. Like, look, God may do some absolutely miraculous things, but it's because of him and his strength. It's because of him and what he's doing. I'm able to persevere not on my own strength, but because of his strength. Right? I'm not the one picking me myself up by my bootstraps and dragging myself into heaven. Right? That isn't me. I have nothing to do with that. Right? God's the one that saves me, that sanctifies me, that makes me righteous. It's just like, is there greatness inside of you? There is the, the, the gifts that God has given you to go out into the world and use for his greatness and his glory. But that's not how we're using that right now. Oh, hear me this morning. You have not seen your best days. There's greater things that God has for you. And you just need to wake up and hear God and yield to him stretching you and quit complaining because he's, he's expanding your borders. He's letting you know that things are going to come that are literally going to blow your mind if you yield to him. He said Jerusalem is, too, is not big enough to handle the men and cattle. Now I'm going to share with you and then I'll read the... Okay, let's read it one more time. Run and say to that man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a village without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. Shall be. Shall be. It's not that it is. It shall be. This is a future thing. This is a vision of the man with the measuring stick, right? This is a, fu this is a future foretelling of what Jerusalem will be. The last part, I'm going to share with you what I believe God's doing in this house. God's measuring us for greatness. We have not seen... This text has nothing to do with this church or any other particular church. I mean, why... I don't understand how we think it's okay to take this text... That is telling of an amazing, just telling how amazing God is and how faithful he is to an unfaithful people. And talking about a future Jerusalem that will not need walls because their God will be their protection. We can take that principle within context and preach that principle within context and tell about how good God is. How, how, how much he protects and how much he sustains and how much his, he, he is over his people. 
and how he has been faithful to them, even though they have been unfaithful to him, right? We can talk about his faithfulness and his protection and his might and his sovereignty while still keeping this text in context, but we're not doing that. This, we're, we're, we're making this all about us. All of it. And we're not even... <laughs> we're not even pulling out principles. Like, as aggravating as it would be to be like, well, the, there's a principle here that we can learn from. It's, no, that man was measuring Jerusalem and God is measuring us. Yeah. Seeing the growth that we anticipated, though we have been growing. And we've been growing and growing and it's wonderful. But what is about to transpire, if you're not ready for, you're going you're gonna to kind of dig your heels in because God's about to literally explode this place. And we have seen by the will and plan of God that, that we're going to have satellite churches throughout this area and other cities even throughout this country that we're going to go beyond the walls of this property. We're going to go beyond the walls of just what God, even though this will always be kind of the, if I can say it this way, the mother church of the beginning place, but we're going to go beyond the walls of this church. We are on the threshold of beginning to see that. We will be at two services before you can blink an eye. And then we're going to be at a place where we're going to have to try to figure out what next and where can we add another service and what can we do. And I believe expansion is coming and because the message that's ringing out from this place, the music that's ringing out from this place is not big enough for one location. I wish I could get somebody with me this morning. I do want to note that um, Gary is technically a church growth specialist. So he's all about church growth, um, not planting churches, not expanding, not saying, hey, guys, go plant another church somewhere else. It's all about expanding this church. You can tell that by satellite churches and multiple services and all that talk. Um, obviously, that's a, that's, that's a totally different discussion on how the church should be structured, what the church should look like. All of that is a whole different discussion for a different day. Um, in fact, this is in 2017, like I already mentioned, after this transformation church does really become on the map because of relationship goals. And then they, they buy multiple pieces of property and they obviously have an enormous audit. Uh, um, it's an auditorium now. It's, it's a huge building. So. so he goes on to say, for I saith the Lord will be unto her a wall of fire around her. In other words, you don't have to worry about building a wall to protect you against your enemies. I'm going to be your wall. And I'll be a wall of fire. Let's see who can get through me. Let's see who can get through me. And I'm telling you, even personally, some of us have been fighting battles and things have been going on and our nation's fighting battles. But I'm telling you, the power of God's going to show off in this hour. He's building a wall of fire around his people. He's building a wall of fire around his church. His church will prevail. We are not the most popular thing in the earth today. There is much coming against us. There'll be more in the days to come. But the more they come against us, God will lift up a standard against every enemy his church will prevail we will overcome we will not be overcome and then he ends it by saying and i will be the glory in the midst of her glory is a great word it means the full manifestation of a thing in other words i will stand in her midst 
Have you ever read the scripture, two or three gathered together in my name, there I will be? That, that verse is so taken out of context. That it's, it's, that's a church discipline text, actually. I mean, that's constantly ripped out of context. But go look at the context. I'll let you do that. We're an hour into the sermon review. We got another 10 minutes of him preaching, so I'm not going to take you there. But go look up the where two or three are gathered. I'm in their midst. In context is about church discipline. I will be, it's not like I'm going to come and visit you if you'll gather together. It's like I'm going to be in your midst. And when God comes in the midst of a people, he doesn't just sit around. He's not going to just, you know, just talk about little things like the weather and all that. When God shows up, things begin to happen. I'm going to tell you there will be a day and not too long from now when God's going to start showing up everywhere. He's going to be showing up while you take your children to children's church. He's going to be showing up when you drive on the property to park your car. He's going to be showing up while you're just talking before the, the worship begins. He's going to show up in the midst of worship. Mighty miracles are going to take place. Healing's going to take place. Not because we stop and acknowledge it, just because he shows up in our midst. What does that take? It takes you and I. It takes you and I. This is what he saw, to take the limits off. The limits of your thinking. The limits of your past. This is what he saw. Okay, so he's referring to Zechariah. This is what Zechariah saw, is that it takes us to take the limits off. Where does it say that in Zechariah 2, verses 1 through 5? I need, I need a little sound button that says, show me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible. Like, I need that little sound bite, because where does it say that? Where? Where does it say that it takes us to take the limits off? I, like, I'm looking. I mean, maybe I just don't know the Hebrew well enough. Maybe the translation here is wrong. But where does it say that? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. The limits of what you think are your inabilities. The limits of things that have held you back and weighed you down for too long. The limits of your age. Whether you think you're too old or whether you think you're too young. You put a limitation on yourself. The limits of your mistakes. Sometimes the enemy is perfect at telling us our mistakes and he'll rehearse them as long as we'll listen. Somebody said, well, what do I do? Stop listening. Just stop listening. How many know when he speaks, he lies. And so he's going to tell you what you can't do in your future because of what you did in your past. But you got to say, uh-uh, I'm tuning you out. Amen. I'm shutting off the channel of my, my life that has listened to you too long. I'm taking the limits off my life. I'm taking the limits off my life. There are no limits. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, no limits. There was a moment in the nation of Israel in Isaiah 54 when he says this. All right, let's go to Isaiah 54. I don't think he's going to give us... Um a, a, a reference here, but let me let me see real quick. Isaiah. Anymore. All right, let's see. Sing, O barren. Thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing. Cry aloud, thou that in the midst that have not travailed with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife. Wow. I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to tell you something that, that you can't figure out. 
You think you're desolate because you haven't even bore children. You're going to bore more children than the, than the, the wife. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know. I'm going to do things that are literally going to show you I'm in charge. That you can't do this just in the natural. You can't plan this out. You can't act this out. I'm going to do things that only I can do. I'm going to show up. So I'm telling you, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, strengthen their stakes. I'm about to break out on the right and on the left and about everywhere else. I came this morning to tell you in the midst of a national crisis, God's about to do some extraordinary things in your life that he's about to break out in your life. There's one thing about a breakthrough, but there's a whole nother realm of breakout. Hallelujah. Breakthrough means there's a barrier. Breakout means you have been hindered, and I'm about to break out in your life and through your life to do things that only I can do because I'm God. That's the God we serve in this hour. I'm your maker, he said. I'm your redeemer. I'm the holy one of Israel. And I'm about to do things that only I can do. Only I can do. In order to do... I'm sorry, let's go ahead uh, real quick and read Isaiah 54, just part of it. Because he, he kind of went in on that for a second. Now, to be frank, I haven't read this through, so I'm not exactly sure what we're even going through, so I forget Isaiah 54. But it says, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of your desolate one will be more than the children of her who has who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your inhabitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will process, uh, possess the nations. And... and, and will people uh, the nations and will people the desolate cities. Uh, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will f uh, forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your w uh, widowhood. You will remember no more. For the Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, and he is called. For the Lord who has called you, like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of the youth when she is cast off, says your God, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Uh, it keeps going. But basically this seems to be God speaking to Israel, saying like you you should sing and break forth. Like you didn't think anything was going to happen, but I'm going to use you and your people will go all throughout the world essentially is what it seems to be saying here. Again, I'd have to do quite a bit more exegesis on it. So what he's saying isn't necessarily wrong in context to Isaiah 54, God speaking to Israel. Again, we can learn a lot from that, but that doesn't necessarily have, it isn't about you. There are principles that can be learned from that of God's obedience and um, faithfulness, I should say, is probably a better um, word for it, but God's faithfulness to his people, God bringing his, you know, joy from sorrow, God loving even the unfaithful, um, and bringing them to himself. Like all of these things are characteristics of God that we can, we can really draw out, but are more meaningful when we draw them out 
from the reality of understanding the story of God and his people. Like if you understand like how his people break covenant with him, but how faithful he is even in their breaking covenant, you can then say, and you are just as unfaithful and God is just as faithful. Like there are comparisons and contrasts that can be drawn, especially on the other side of the cross uh, about God's faithfulness to Christ to us. But we've not made any of those yet. Do that. We have to know that he's at work in us, that he's stretching us, that he's showing us our capacity must go to another level, that we must learn how to be tuned together. That means a spirit of unity. Genesis showed us in the nation of Israel when, when the Tower of Babel was raised, the Bible says that God said nothing they plan to do will be impossible because they had one voice, they had one voice, they had one voice. Now their intentions were bad and God had to judge it, but the principle is true. When you speak one voice in one language, you have one vision and one goal and you join together, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And I'm telling you, and you please hear me, you, you have to get to the place that you believe that everything God does through this church, he's gonna do in your life. When God expands this church, he's going to expand your life. When God blesses this house, he's going to bless your life. As long as your heart is right and your, your heart is pure and you're properly attached by covenant, God will begin to do extraordinary things in your life. So let me just sum up what we've said. Let's review. Let's review. Okay, so this will be interesting. Let's listen to the review of what we've learned today from Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. First of all, you have to build on the right foundation. You have to... Where was that? ...to build on the right foundation. You have to know. Young people, you have to know. I know in whom I have believed. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced. There's not a devil in hell that can distract me. I know in whom I have believed. I know my God for myself. I'm not living through, through my pastor. I'm not living through my parents. I, I know him for myself. You got to build on the right foundation. You have to let God stretch you and show you your capacity. Let him show your capacity. It's much greater than you even think right now. You are not where you're going. It's greater. It's greater. It's greater. Even those of you that have graduated recently, there, there's such purpose in you, such purpose in you. It's greater, greater. It's greater, it's greater. All, all that things and drama and, and plays and video and all of that, you can't comprehend what's gonna happen in the next 10 years. It's mind boggling. He wants to show you your capacity. He wants to show you what you're about to do. He's about to show you. Number three, you have to learn to endure. You have to learn to endure. Endure hardship like a good soldier, the Bible tells us. Go through. We all do. We all do. Your pastors do. Pastor Debbie and I have. Pastor Michael, Natalie, they have. If you live in this world, you're going to go through stuff. But the key is to go through. I'm in the midst of. What you doing there? Go through. 
I'm facing the enemy. No, we've already defeated the enemy. Face God. Things are coming against me. Get through it. And if he stands in the way, go through him or it or whatever it is. You got to get through it because those things are making you. So when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you'll learn, I don't fear evil. I don't fear everything, anything that's coming against me. I've met the devil head on, and I saw him defeated on the cross in Jesus' name, and I'm victorious. I'm going to go through this, but I'm going to get to the other side. I'm going to get to the other side. you got to believe there's greatness in you. Well, I don't have the... I was going to wait to the end to say this, but we're, we haven't talked about the gospel at all here. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Jesus, as far as I can remember, at all. So we're talking about, you know, knowing what you know and believing what you believe, young people. Like, we didn't talk about the gospel. We just say we're not relying on the faith of other people. Okay, but what faith are we relying on? Are we relying on the finished work of Jesus? Are we relying on the reality that we're sinners in need of a Savior and Jesus is, he, 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 he is that Savior? He was born of a virgin, came and lived a perfect life, died in my place for my sins, rose and defeated sin and death, ascended into heaven, coming again to judge the living and the dead. Like, is that the faith we have? Right? Because that's how, that's how we're going to grow in sanctification, right? Not just be stretched for our purpose, but that's how we're going to grow in sanctification if we understand the gospel. How are we going to persevere or endure in hardship? Because we know that the Lord is our strength. Jesus is our strength. We are being comforted by the Holy Spirit, the one that is sanctifying us. Him, we're, we're being led by Him. Like, we're, this is... Uh, these are just good principles to live by. These are not distinctively Christ-centered. Let's keep going personality. I don't want to do that. We think certain people are great and some of them are, are good people and some achieve some great things within their area. But sometimes achieving great things in an area doesn't mean you're a great person. God wants to make you great. He's measuring you in this hour. He's measuring this church. That's why everything has not been perfect in this church the last several months. Pastor Michael had to walk through some things. He, he had to deal with some things. Why? Because he was stretching him as a pastor. And I'm telling you. Uh, just to be clear, I have no clue what he's talking about there. I've tried to look it up. I don't know. Maybe I'm just missing something. Not that it's important, but he is mentioning it in the sermon. He's preparing him and this church for greatness. And number four, as we review, remove the limitations. Remove the limitations. Find out what's limiting me. Why can't I get through this season? Why am I not getting to the next place? What are the limitations I'm facing? What is God trying to tell me in this hour? What is he trying to reveal to me in this hour? That this could easily be, what do I need to repent of? Instead of removing the limitations, if we're working through the four keys to greatness, it is understand the gospel, be sanctified in the spirit, learn to hold fast to Christ and, perse and persevere, and learn how to repent when you need to repent. Now, again, none of that has to do with Zechariah chapter two. Those are just good prints. Those are just good things to know. But that has nothing to do with. I, I there for a moment, I even forgot that we were in Zechariah chapter two. 
that I'm resisting. When you resist what God's pushing you or prodding you into, then, then you can't move forward. And when you resist, you step back. I hate being in the same place. That's because you're not willing to move forward. You got to take the limitations off. Take the limitations off. Take the limitations off. They're usually existing in your mind. And they manifest in your actions. What kind of thinking is limiting me from what God wants me to do? Quit blaming it on the past. We all have pasts. We've all had difficulties. We've all had things. We I mean, this is just, this is really good therapy. This is good, like, socio like psychology. This isn't really preaching. We wish we had never gone through. We pray for one another as pastors. Our heart goes out to you in the midst of it, but we got to get through it. We got to get through it. We got to get through it. Uh, where, where you were born and the circumstances that you lived in or the house you were raised in. Uh, is uh, Thank God that you're here today, which means it didn't capture you. It didn't destroy you. But don't carry the mindsets that bound you into the freedom of this hour. That was the problem with the children of Israel. They, they left, they left uh, Egypt to go to the promised land, but they kept Egypt in their thinking. And God said, well, I'm going to have to delay because you can't take that thinking into the promised land. And then finally he said, you know what? I think I'm just going to have to raise up the next generation. Because there's enough of God that's in the camps that they're learning about who I am that they'll let go of Egypt because they can't remember it like their parents do. So I'll just raise up another generation and take them in. That was history. But today, we all get to go in together. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not so resting into the former days. They started asking me some questions about the 50s and 60s and 70s, and I'm thinking, I can't hardly remember anything. But talk to me about the future. Talk to me about where we're going. Talk to me about what God is doing now. Talk to me about what God is about to do in our midst, and boy, we'll have a conversation. I'm, I, I've learned what I can from my past. And I've let go of the things that tried to attach themselves to me. And I'm grabbing hold of my future. We're moving forward and we're called to do it together as the people of God. We're called to do it together. This is our challenge in this hour. Let's go together. I've been in other churches where I've seen th three and four generations working together. It is possible. We have to work together. For some of you, even this, this month is a stretch. Listen to Michael Jackson before we enter into worship. Michael even showed up a little bit this morning. Amen. <laughs> Michael took his glove off, but it's all right. That's a stretch. Let me help you. There's no harm. Me sitting in the car and doing that was a stretch. I have no, I, we're, we're kind of outside of the context of what apparently happened at the beginning of the service. That seems to be what he's referring to. So I'm not sure what at all, what he's talking about. And with no context, we have no clue, but he, the people that are there clearly know what was, what he's referring to. It looked like a stretch. She said, I know. Yeah. It looked like a stretch. Yeah. But, but you know what? 
We all have to get to a different place. So let's remove the limitations. How do we do that? Learn to live in the supernatural. Learn to live in the supernatural. That means Monday through Saturday, learn to live in the supernatural. We live in the natural, but the realm of the spirit must be with us always. Remove the limitations from your mind. God's measuring you for greatness. Okay. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. All right, so let's go through. Uh, here's the three things we always ask. Did he read the scripture? He did. He technically read the scripture. Uh, did he give context and culture to therefore exegete the text and bring it the application? Uh, he did bring in context and culture a little bit there. That that he did do. So we can't say he didn't do that because we did get some historical context to what was going on, who Zachariah was, what was going on in the time that he wrote, all of that. And then as soon as we got that, we were just like, all right, cool. We've done what we needed to do. Now let's make it about us. <laughs> I mean, like we started really strong, but we did not bring out application based upon the reality of what was happening in the text. We did bring application, but it was not at all connected to what was actually happening in the text. It was loosely connected to other scriptures that we didn't really mention in regards to perseverance and things like that. Did we preach the gospel? Not at all. In fact, there were opportunities to do that. There were opportunities outside, as I mentioned, of Zechariah chapter 2 to preach the gospel, and we missed them. We made them four principles of just anybody can do this. Basically, anybody can do this. Um, if we would have stuck with Zechariah chapter two, verses one through five, we could have still presented the gospel. We could have went through, um, this prophetic vision of, uh, the coming Jerusalem where God is her, her walls. And there's so many people there and he is their protector and they do not have to fear anymore. Uh, and that in that city, we see later after the cross that in revelation, we see that, you know, we have, we have God amongst his people dwelling and that includes you and I, and then you could put the gospel in there. Uh, we didn't do that, though. Basically, what we got was what we've seen in a lot of sermon reviews. We have a text. We use it as a diving board to jump into a pool of whatever I now want to talk about. Now, to give Gary, to give Gary some props, he does connect all of his points that he makes back to the text. But he does it in a really sloppy way, in my opinion. And a lot of the things that we see him do, Mike Todd does as well. Mike Todd just does it better in regards to energy and, you know, things like that. Examples. So, yeah, I don't, it, that was problematic. Uh, there was a lot of red flags of things you should look for in a lot of other sermons, such as, you know, after we give context and read the text, are we actually staying with the text? Um, the verses that we use, such as Psalm 11, as well as the uh, where two or more are gathered, right? Are we checking the context on those to make sure that's actually the context in which they're being used? Um, there's a lot there. I can see why people would get very excited 
listening to a sermon like this. People clearly were excited listening to that sermon because, you know, God's measuring us. He's testing us. He's about to bring us into another, a whole nother time where this church grows and all that. And you better, if you want to come along, you got to get on board and you got to be unified and you got to free your mind to restrictions and you got to live in the supernatural and you got to do all this stuff that the text that I just preached out of technically doesn't say. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, guys, if you found this helpful, make sure you like it. If you found something you disagree with, which I'm sure there's probably somebody doing that, make sure that you leave a comment below. And if you want to support the things that we do, uh, there are links below to do that via Patreon subscription that you might want to get, or perhaps buying some of the resources that we have that not only support us, but then help you grow in the Lord as well. But as always, go out, tell other people about Jesus, and pray that the kingdom of God is expanded. I'll talk to you next time.